One of the reasons I, I like a term like friction is because it's, it's, it's visceral, right? It's physical. And I feel like a lot of what I'm trying to do in, in uh, guiding or supporting people with meditation is to um, come back from what's often an overly mentalized relationship. A lot of the language that we use for meditation, I, you know, we often talk about meditation as mind training in some way, right? Or this whole word mindfulness, which, you know, it's too late to try to find a different term. <laughs> uh, way too late. But, but, <laughs> if, if, if I were to manage that somehow, I'd probably, I'd, I would just use the word, I think presence is actually closer t to the original etymology, the word from Pali, presence. But a direct substitution, and I'm not really trying to substitute this, but just in the way that we relate to it, I think actually we might think of bodyfulness right, as often a more helpful orientation to being present than the word mindfulness which can sometimes encourage a lot of, you know, thinking about, you know, and even the idea of being here and now or attending to present moment experience, etc., etc. Often people are trying to kind of find or feel their way into that with some degree of abstraction. And so words like clinging, we were using earlier, it points to something physical, but actually we tend to think of clinging as a mental relationship to experience. Friction doesn't really point to the mentalness. And it's really, I've found it incredibly helpful over years to really, it's like whatever resistance, whatever struggle, whatever pushing and pulling we get into doing with our experience, it's happening here. It's feelable. And it's much more reliable to feel the way we've become oppositional and to feel oh, what we can do about that and how we can soften that. And sometimes recognizing whether that's a muscular tension or friction, which sometimes it is, or sometimes it's much subtler than muscular, but it's still something that can be like felt here and softened here. And that feeling and softening, and that move from friction into freeness, we might say, uh, it can kind of short-circuit some of the figuring out what to do, thinking about letting go, right, for example. Oh, I should let go. Right? How, how would I let go? If I let go, then da, da, da. why can't I let go? You know? Maybe those questions aren't so helpful sometimes. And hence what I was describing about the willingness to, if there's some friction, some tension, some fussing, fighting, freaking out about. Oh, it's like actually letting ourselves get to know that. So again, one of the dangers of the idea of letting go is we tend to overlay that in our, our experience. There's some problem, I should let go. That's bud, proper Buddhism, right? Letting go. It's all about letting go. 
But if you're in too much of a hurry to let go, right, trying to let go creates friction, actually. And often what we call letting go will happen by itself. We don't need to do the letting go. That's the good news, I would say, of this practice. We're not very good at letting go. I speak for myself. I'm not very good at letting go. I'm very good at holding on. That's that's where all the conditioning is. But I find if I'm willing to notice the holding on, not give myself a hard time for it, be curious about it, enter into it, take care of it, it's like it it will let go. Of course it will. Naturally, right? It's like we can recognize, when we let ourselves really feel what's happening, we can recognize this isn't comfortable. When we really feel what I'm doing to make myself uncomfortable, to put myself in conflict with experience, we find, oh, experience wants to open up. Experience wants to... to, uh, Everything inclines, I would say, towards freeness. Most fundamentally, we might even say everything is unfolding freely. And so we find that we can, we can recognize more viscerally what we're doing to kind of interfere with that, or create friction around that. So as to kind of... Uh, allow things to soften up or free up. So the encouragement then throughout the day to be very, um, to just be kind of very immediate and contactful, physical, embodied, bodyful with your experience. And the first part of the day, just a little bit of a rhythm of some consistency of practice to support that embodying or bodifying or whatever. So, you know, so I'm sitting now and maybe we'll just spend a little time for some walking practice and then have another and then sit together again and then let's see. We'll find out a little what, what you're noticing. So um, I guess you've got a way of doing sitting pra- walking practice here and uh, John was describing it early to me as sometimes he says he does what he calls, what did you call it, Times Square walking. Right. You just kind of nil in and out. So I don't know, if, is that an effective way to do here or do you, some, do you define a direction sometimes and everyone goes one way, you have a direction? Is that the standard form? Okay. Okay. Well, if you can choose... Oh, I can choose. I don't, I don't mind. Let's say parallel to the windows, if that's what you do. Then. The small room? Okay. So. Okay. So enough of you know how that works. But I'll just say a little bit about the orientation to the walking. And I also think, actually, for the small room, maybe... I'll hang out in the small room, and if during the day, you know, when there's walking times, if if you want to just check in with me individually about something, please feel free. Um, to, so we'll use the small room for that. And uh, one of the things I like to encourage people with walking is to be simple with it, to be natural with it. You know, it's like body knows how to walk, right? And just to trust that. You know, sometimes we get 
overly complicated. Same with sitting meditation. The body knows how to breathe, right? Mostly it's been doing it okay for some decades. And then I start to interfere with the process. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to do meditation now. We're going to breathe like... And we start to control the breathing or we have some idea that there's a certain way we should be breathing. And we end up creating friction. And that's, you know, you may be familiar with that and spoken about quite a lot often in meditation instructions, the tendency to control the breathing. But it spills over very easily into walking. You try to walk in some particular way. You think, I I should be walking particularly slowly. Or um, we have some view that there's a particular way to walk that looks mindful. Please don't burden yourselves with those things. Just let the walking... Of course, you're not going anywhere. So the, naturally, the walking will tend towards a certain slowness. It's not normal Manhattan walking. Right? So, just, so it's like allowing a natural sense of slowing down is very different than contriving to walk particularly slowly. And the same with the lifting. Sometimes people, people seem to lift their feet up un, unusually or surprisingly high. It's, more, it's like, wow, really? You know? Just, you know, just, just shuffle along simply. Right? And then we find we, try, we lose our balance. We never normally lose our balance, right? You're normally pretty good at walking. And then the walking meditation, trying so hard, focusing so tightly. Oh, oh, oh dear. So just seeing if that, that quality, right, the in contactfulness, embodiment, is through a certain simplicity, relaxing into the walking. Relaxing into the walking. Very helpful. Relaxing into the walking. Letting walking happen. And just the other thing, you know, it's in many ways obvious, but just to clarify, it's, walking is different from sitting. Sometimes people struggle with walking because they're expecting to have, for it to somehow be the same. But there's more input. Eyes are open, there's movement, there's more sensory stimulation, right? Of course, you're noticing. I mean, you, it's important that you notice what's going on around you. That isn't Noticing what's going on around you, having your attention be wider, isn't something that's wrong, right? It's actually, I think of walking meditation as very much an integrative practice, right? So the the emphasis is on being here, contactful, sensitive, embodied, right? Awake inside your experience. But that insideness doesn't mean there is no sense of the world out there. That's what's integrative about it. One's inside experience in such a way that actually includes. And you can notice that just now, right? Your eyes can be open, looking around the room, listening to me, and still noticing how you can sense. And you can feel your legs on the chair or the floor. And just really letting yourself feel right now how you can feel and listen. How you can feel and see. And then, you know, walking meditation is a practice of that. Present in the feeling and the moving. So one's inside, but not in an exclusive way, not in a tight way, not in a narrow way. 
one's inside all of this, inside this experience, this sensory experience, this embodied experience. And relaxing into the walking in that spirit. And then, just like I said in the walking, it may be, but that just that sense of moment-to-moment awakeness inside experience is enough of a support for your practice. And if it's not, you know, you get more easily spaced out, or then just really, you know, having the, the lower part of your body as the reference point. So inside your legs, in the midst of all this. Inside just the, the feeling of legs moving, feet moving, shifting weight, etc. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's take uh, 20 minutes or so for walking practice and then um, we'll ring the bell. Will someone ring the bell at uh, 22? Peace. Thanks. And if you want to check in with me, I'll be just in there. Yeah.